Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast, equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. The following audio was recorded at Refresh Network Online, an online community for gospel encouragement and refreshment for Christian leaders and their spouses. Uh, If you've got a Bible, would you grab it and turn to Philippians 3? Very well-known passage. I'm going to read a good chunk of it to us. So Philippians 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers. And take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave. For as I've often told you before, and say now again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame, their minds on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that's how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with you, Odia, I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers 
whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. About nearly a year ago, uh, I did something I haven't done since I was eight years old. I went to a football match. And I have to forgive me if you've heard this story. A generous friend realised my son is an avid Ronaldo fan, so he invited us to see Manchester United play against his beloved Watford, fully expecting Watford to be crushed. And, of course, it was the other way around. Watford won 4-1 in their best game of the century. Uh, my friend's an evangelist. He will twist anything for a gospel illustration. And he said, surely there is no finer illustration of the gospel than the Red Devils being crushed at Vicarage Road. I had a bit of an epiphany that day. All I learned was that men have no difficulty singing loudly and badly at the top of their voices if the context is right. And the right context was hero-worshipping the triumph of their guides. The team pulled off an amazing victory, but it was the fans' win too. The team won and the fans won. And the absolutely right response was deafening hero worship. I was so infectious being invited to be with the Watford fans in their happiness and their pride in their guise. In fact, it was evangelistic. I discovered that my friend was trying to woo my son away from the kingdom of darkness that is AFC Bournemouth to the kingdom of light at Vicarage Road. And all he had to do was invite him into his own enthusiasm surround him with an infectious hero-worshipping crowd who were enjoying a great victory, and ask him if he'd like to come back sometime. Uh, now, you, you can guess where I'm going, can't you? Weak link. Uh, but I am stopping using the word worship for what we do in church and starting talking about hero-worship instead, because that's what it ought to be. Our guy has won the most astounding victory in all history, and all of creation. He's won it for us, and we're in his triumph. If you think that 20,000 Watford supporters can make a lot of noise, that's only because you haven't experienced Revelation 5 yet. Then I looked and heard the voices of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne of the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that's in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. When we're worshiping, when we're lifting our hearts and our voices and our affections, hands, if you do that, that's what we're joining in with. Maybe your church is small. Maybe, maybe you find it hard to sing your hearts out because 
you think you're few in number, but you aren't. You're part of that rejoicing that's going on. And it's hero worship. That's very infectious. Or maybe you think that sounds a bit too triumphalist for these turbulent and troubled times. But in Philippians 3 and Philippians 4, rejoicing in the Lord is the chief safeguard for people who are really going through it. This is what's helping them stand firm in Jesus. So verse 1 of chapter 3, rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I said again, rejoice. It's the bookends of the section. And then in 4 verse 1, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. That's how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. It's about how to stand firm. It's how to do it. Practical instruction. Rejoice. Be gentle. Don't be anxious. But pray with thanksgiving. And God will give you his peace, his transcendent peace, and he will guard your heart. We do want his peace in our hearts, don't we? So do our people in these troubled times. Well then, says the apostle, worship, pray, give thanks, tell him your troubles, rejoice over him, exalt yourself in him, bring to mind what he's done again and again, reckon on your new status in him. It's not the only place he says it is. It's very similar to uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, for example. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Not told very many things that are God's definite will for us, but this is, because it's the mark of having been born again. This is the overflow of the fact that we're new creatures. This is uh, the uh, this downstream of the fact that we are now have the Holy Spirit. We're forgiven. We're adopted. We're declared righteous in his sight with our new hearts and our new home in heaven and a great high priest and an older brother who is sitting at the Father's right hand interceding for us so that we can delight ourselves in the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord. The main thing that, that Paul concentrates on uh, from where that's coming from, where that's flowing out of here yeah, is standing in, prizing, and rejoicing in the righteousness of Jesus that he gives us. And of course, also in this passage, he, he zooms in on the main blockage that stops it, which is rejoicing in our righteousness, rejoicing in our accomplishments, rejoicing in law righteousness, making what I do the measure of how righteous I feel so that I can feel affirmed for how well I think I've done, rather than being taken up with the triumph of my guy. And for Paul, that was, uh, that was being the, the spiritual elite because of his heritage, his learning, his zeal, and, and his law obedience. All just boiled down to try to make himself good enough for God by his and we know and we've become persuaded of the fact that that 
will comprehensively let us down. It's suicidal for our joy because that only comes from the good news of totally unmerited free grace to sinners. I was uh, preaching um, on Sunday to a church I've not preached to before about righteousness as a totally free gift that we don't deserve. And I could see some people just on the edge of their seats uh, getting it. They were, they, they were on tiptoe. They were excited. Penny was dropping. And I could see some people who long-standing members for whom the idea of God being that nice to us and them not having to earn approval was clearly unsettling for them. Yeah. I've met people who have been Christians, say they've been Christians for decades, who still think it's about trying to be good enough for God. Who still think that he's basically frowning at them, that he's not a very nice God. Had people say to me when the penny finally drops about grace, uh, that that can't be true. So different is it to the message they think they've heard for so many. Sounds too good to be true. After preaching Romans 5 once, I actually had somebody say to me, that can't be true. If that's true, that means I can sin, so there's more grace. And I said, I think you just need to uh, just go on a few verses, read the next chapter. Yeah, it does sound too good to be true. Why is it so different to the message that people think they've heard for so many years? It's no surprise that uh, if that's true, of them, they don't usually have much joy or much of a worship life. I've been reading a bit of military history recently and uh, been reading a bit about a military concept that is called the culmination point. What the culmination point is, is uh, it, it's what happens when your supply lines get so extended that you expend more and more of your resources getting supplies to the front line and they dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And by the time they get there, there's almost nothing left. Uh, so they're not much use to the troops anyway. And, and anyway, your troops are already exhausted. So the idea uh, is that you have to complete your objectives before you reach the culmination point, because the culmination point is where you grind to a halt. And I've just been thinking about that with respect to ministry. I wonder if you feel that your church overestimates what you can do or underestimates what you actually do do. Because when we overestimate what we can do and underestimate what we're actually carrying, uh, and then have a vague but limitless idea of what the task actually is, you know, the evangelization of the whole world, and it's all on the minister, that is a little bit like having an infinite culmination point and no supply lines. And if you have an infinite culmination point in those supply lines and you get spiritually unsupplied, not replenished, while getting directives that you have to keep on delivering, I'm still, still thinking that through. But of course, the temptation under those circumstances, what do you do? You, you carry on plodding one foot in front of another with all your joy gone. No worship life, but pretending we have because that's the expectation delivering what people want, but knowing that it's not really coming from a healthy spiritual center, doing acts of righteousness before people to be seen by them, 
constantly smiling because you're the only person in church who isn't allowed to be grumpy. It really does amount to works righteousness if we're not careful. Paul says, I just count it all loss. Count it loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and being found in him with a righteousness that comes from God. And that's just what I want to, to lay out for us this morning. I want to ask, are you currently counting everything else loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ and being found in him with a righteousness that comes from God? How are you doing at these things at the moment? You, you're doing things that you are feeling obligated to do, but aren't flowing out of tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. Are you covering that up with a nice, holy, performative smile so that nobody will know that you're spiritually depleted and your heart isn't in it? I was feeling like that before the summer. Some of you know that I've written a book recently on how power goes wrong for leaders. And off the back of it, a lot was coming my way that frankly was just sapping my spirit. I was weary with well-doing, hearing about bad situations. It was just weighing on me. It was depleting me. It's getting exhausted and joyless. I just needed to get into Jesus's presence, into his shade. So it says, under the shade of his apple tree, back into his replenishing presence. And I needed to not be tempted to try to be the answer to people's issues. Because that drives us into ministry righteousness, doesn't it? They want us. We want to be wanted. We take their burdens onto us. But nobody apart from us knows how many or how heavy they are. And it's so easy for our spiritual supply lines to fall apart. Oh, for sure, we're meant to bear one another's burdens. But, but that's every Christian, not just ministers. We can't do the job of every Christian. But sometimes we can feel people want us to. And we get applauded when we do it, and we get criticized when we don't. So we stretch ourselves further and further. Uh, but we're not infinitely elastic. And we do it at the expense of our joy in God and resting in Jesus' righteousness. I wonder if there's anything like that that's drawing you away at the moment. Maybe, maybe I don't know, maybe you feel forced out of the presence of God by the expectations of the people. Like Moses, exhausted by judging from morning till night. And we're told it exhausted the people as well, because when we're not enjoying the grace of God, then neither do they. My dear friends, he is all your righteousness. Nothing else. He's all your righteousness. We glory in him. We're hero-worshipping the triumph of our guy. We all try to be our guy or to get the glory for our achievements. In Philippi, that meant not putting trust in religion. For, for the hypocrites in Matthew 6, the same doing their religious performance for human applause. And we have our ministry equivalents that give us a sense of satisfaction or worth because of what I have uh, been seen to have done, but are just destructive of our joy in Jesus. In verses 12 and 13, Paul says, Press on, press on, live in such a way as to win the prize for which God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus. But all of that 
flows from being declared righteous. It is downstream of our enjoying his grace and being worshippers. And if it's not downstream of it, then stoic duty all too often just becomes a replacement for it. No, I'm not, not enjoying God, but I have to get on with it. Not forget a vicar coming to me on one occasion saying, I'm doing, uh, I think, great orthodox ministry, training new leaders. I've just got one problem, and that is I don't think I've enjoyed Jesus for at least five years. And I just thought, what a definition of good ministry is that? How, how on earth have we allowed that to get to, to that point? Not enjoying Jesus, but thinking that I can do good, good ministry for Jesus. I'm more and more convinced, get more and more convinced the older I get, that the only thing that really matters in ministry is being vibrantly spiritually healthy. Spiritually healthy leaders for spiritually healthy churches. And it all comes from grace. If we're not enjoying God, that's where we trace it all back to. So appreciating and appropriating his grace leads to healthy discipleship, which leads to healthy leadership, which leads to healthy church. And if we're sensing a blockage, you've just got to trace it back. Where is, where's the grace blockage in that progression? How's your appreciation of grace and righteousness and adoption as of September 2022? Everything else that goes on in your life and ministry is either the overflow of that or it's going to be some holy-looking religious substitute for it. Like Paul's holy-looking substitutes. They look really good, and they got him into the elite. And now he says, I consider them all lost for the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. So, start of a new and challenging season in many of our churches, I guess. Let me encourage you this morning. Lay down the foundation of a deep worship life. Write down in the stack of our lives, as deep as breathing, rejoice in the Lord always. It's no trouble to say the same thing again, and it's a safeguard to you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders or you can visit our website www.livingleadership.org where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings.